welcome to the Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode six of The Spider-Man Who Loved Me, certainly a podcast dedicated to the Toei production of Spider-Man. Every week or so, we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is producer Mark, and with me as always is my co-host and buddy Brian. How's it going, Brian? It's going pretty well. Do you happen to know how the weather is in Cleveland? I don't know how the weather is in Cleveland. <laughs> I feel like that's I a do key have component. to. Yes, I I do have to point out that recording the podcast forces me to turn off my air conditioning. So, <laughs> so the weather in Pennsylvania is warm. Yes, I have. Um, in the new house, we have central air, as I think I've covered semi recently on one of the shows we talked to each other on. Right. Yes, and it does not register. It's quiet enough that it does not get picked up on the mic, which is great. This would absolutely register. (laughs) I also feel there is a heating duct register joke somewhere that I am not able to put together. But you, the listener, can put that together and have a good laugh. Yeah, create your own joke. It's It's an interactive podcast today. Yes. So we are back in the saddle doing another episode of Spider-Man. Boy, I hope this doesn't release into winter. All this air conditioning stuff is going to go over like a lead balloon. Anyway. You never know. Sometimes these things sit on the shelf for a couple of months. Sometimes they barely last a week or two. Yep. But we are officially out of emergency pull the ripcord podcast episodes for the Super Sentai Brothers. And I don't feel comfortable when that happens. So we're getting another one in the bank. Yep, yep, yep. I have today... So my daughter has been, she's been attending this nightly uh, VBS thing. Okay. So she's been gone. I mean, I get home and see her briefly after I get home from work. Mm-hmm. But but then she heads out for the evening and doesn't come back till after her usual bedtime. Right. And also mixed in somewhere in there uh, earlier this week, my mom and dad just had my daughter stay with them for a night and kept there for the better part of two days. So my week has been very disjointed. Like I have all this free time that I do not understand what to do with anymore. Hmm. That sounds nice. It's, it's weird. I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm loving it. I do miss my kid. I, I, uh, for about one day, it's really, it's nice to have free time. And then I'm like, ah, but, uh, the balance is off in, (laughs) in the house, but it is nice to have some extra time which mostly has just somehow rolled into me doing work on various retrograde orbit radio projects anyway. But still, it's weird. It's just it's messed with my schedule because I'm not a super regimented dude by nature. I never have been, as you well know. Mm -hmm. Yep. But by nature of being a husband and a father, most of my day at this point is kind of locked into a schedule, right? I get up, right. I see you, my family. You have a routine. Brief. I do. And then I come home and I hang out with a kid till bedtime. And then I have a couple of hours at the end of the night where either my wife and I hang out uh, and or I get a little bit of time to work on the podcast. And I'm so used to that routine that it is very disjointed. And you'd think it'd be great having extra time. And it is great, but it's just weirdly disjointing to come home and be like, hey, I can... I can do whatever I want. I guess I'm just working on podcasts again. <laughs> I feel like that story tried to be heartwarming, kind of, but didn't quite make it. It's it's not. It's not a heartwarming story at all. It's, it's just it's a, a heart lukewarming story. That, yeah, it's uh, 
I don't know what's what's a less fun version of chicken soup. It's chicken broth for the soul. It's packaged chicken for the soul. There you go. It's like that weird. They haven't heated chicken. it yet. There's no noodles. But if your soul's real hard up, it might get you through till tomorrow. <laughs> right. As long as you have a source of fire. I feel like we've lost our grip on this analogy, right? Yes, yes. Let's uh let's let's abandon it. <laughs> so this week, as aforementioned, we are watching episode six of Spider Man. It's an intense yep. one, you guys. It is. Uh it's it's a it's a little Jetman level raw. Yeah. It I mean we'll get there. We'll get there in a couple of minutes. Episode six is titled Shuddering Laboratory, Devilish Professor Monster, or really? some version of that, depending on which uh, which translation you are reading. Yes, the translation I got was the Experimental Labs of Horror, Professor Monster. I like yours better. The Experimental Labs of Horror? That's great. Yep. Yeah, this is, for the actual show titles, I try to go to the Wikipedia article. I go to whatever the translation I'm watching is and write it down. (laughs) That seems like a reasonable plan. Anyway, we will get there in a minute. But first, we have some business we have to take care of. Because Shining in the Heavens, Brian, there are five stars. You may know about this. You may have heard heard about. (laughs) I've heard there's stars. Five of them. I mean, five of them per week. Right, Yes. Let's 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 look at five stars this week, Brian. Let's discuss our five stars. What is star number one for this week? Well, star number one. I mean, it's number one in our hearts. And I think that's going to be Beetlejuice. Yeah, Beetlejuice, man. What a great star. Yeah. Uh, We are not speaking of Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. We are actually speaking of the star B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E, or as I believe I referred to as a child, Beltagees. Yeah, in my head, it was often Betelgoose. And it was years before I realized that was not how it was pronounced, because I don't know about you. I first encountered it in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Somewhere in late grade school or maybe very early junior high. Uh, See, I encountered it playing Star Control 2 as the homeworld, or at least the adoptive homeworld of the Siren. Nice. Yeah, and it doesn't look anything. I mean, it probably does look like how it sounds if you know the correct root of the words. Yeah. But to me, Beetlejuice is spelled like the word beetle and then the word juice put together. Yes, that that in fact uh, brings brings someone around. His name is Beetlejuice, <laughs> but it does. I think because of its proximity and interesting name, it features in a fair amount of science fiction and speculative fiction fields, which both you and I read a lot of. Yeah. So good choice, good choice for star number one. Beetlejuice well, has. But, uh, what has do you got there for star heart. number two? Star number two which I was going to say is star number one in our hearts, but you already stole that line. And yes. uh, credit to you for getting there first. Wow. But it is the source of life and warmth for us here on Earth. Star number two, it's Earth's yellow sun, Brian. Oh, you mean uh, that also gives Kryptonians their powers? Yeah, you might know it is the source of Superman's band, you know, all Kryptonians, but 
Yeah. Specifically and the Supergirl source of Superman's well. power. I mean, all Kryptonians. Crypto, the uh, wonder dog. Crypto. <laughs> yeah, Crypto. Streaky, uh, Streaky the super cat. <laughs> Comet the super horse. Oh, Comet the super horse, who is sometimes is it, the boyfriend is it of Supergirl. Beppo the super monkey. That sounds right. There, there, at one point, there was a legion of super pets. There sure this is was. the kind of thing that bumped Earth's yellow sun down from spot number one <laughs> to spot that's, number two. That's fair. That's, 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 that, yeah. So, star number two, which should be star number one for giving life and light to all of the Earth. But I'm sorry, you're just taking a hit for Comet. That's just, I know, I know it's your, not your fault, son, that you give power to a super horse that is sometimes a male boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah, they've uh, they've wisely steered away from Comet the Super Horse in the Supergirl television show. Was that a steer joke? It wasn't meant to be. <laughs> so I know, son, it's not your fault that the DC Comics did that to you. But look, you got to take the hit. You're star number two this week. Yep. You may have also heard it is a massive incandescent gas. I have heard that. <laughs> Anyway, a ball, if you will. Yeah. A giant nuclear furnace. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to star number three before I just quote that entire They Might Be Giants song. Ow. It's a good song though. It's a fun song. They also did like a kids album that has a slightly different version of it that is also very fun. Anyway, what Brian is star number three this week? Well, star number three. Sad to say, is Sagittarius A star, which it's pronounced A star, but it actually refers to the supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Wait, we've got a black hole this week? Yeah, yeah, Sagittarius A star. Nice. I love, I love that clever weaving in of a black hole. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I have long, for inexplicable reasons, been fascinated by black holes and really astronomy in general. I have, I have like one rank in astronomy, which is really I look at it and say that looks cool. <laughs> uh, I wish, I wish I had sunk more skill points into it. It, it is fun. Sagittarius A, if I'm not mistaken, is at the dead center of the Milky Way, right? Uh, Sagittarius, yeah, uh, around there, and A star is the giant invisible-ish radio source next to it, which is a supermassive black hole. Okay. All right. I They say I know... that supermassive black holes are at the center of most galaxies like this. See, this is where you come out ahead of me, because while I read a lot of science and speculative fiction, you have also, like you said, you have maybe one or two ranks in, but you yep. have a little bit of kind of personal interest in actual like interstellar fact. Yes. And I know none of this. So uh, you could tell me whatever you wanted about it being a radio something source black hole. And the best I could do is just kind of nod and, and pretend like I know what I you're mean, talking about. I mean, like all, all black holes would be sources of radio waves and whatnot, I think. See, now now we're getting into that. Do I have any actual facts to back me up on my side and showing that I'm completely unprepared? <laughs> uh, so, so there's that. Thanks. Also, black holes are always good plot elements everywhere in science fiction. They like, really all the time. are. They could be so many different things. Sometimes they're like portals to other galaxies. Sometimes they're just giant negative dimensions unto themselves. Sometimes they just suck things up and destroy them. Yep. 
make do, for some great episodes of Stargate. They sure do. Yeah. They even pop up recently in uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Yes. The Maw. Yeah, that I know we've talked about this offline some, but my heart was happy to see the Maw. Yep. And that's yep. a silly deep cut Star Wars thing from a guy who hasn't really been like a deep Star Wars nerd for more than a decade. But the the Maw still it just it made me happy. It They I think they did justice to the concept of the navigation around Kessel. Yeah, it was it was. The Kessel Run is a thing that was just a meaningless name drop that mm-hmm. became a catchphrase and a fan thing. Yep. And the idea of having to put together the Kessel Run yeah, probably was a bit daunting, but of all the things in the movie, it worked pretty well for me. I liked it. Yeah. What is our fourth star of the week? Fourth star of the week, Brian, is Maya which is a star in the constellation Taurus. In fact, it is part of the Pleiades open star cluster. So named for the Pleiades, the Greek sisters of Greek, the sisters, the seven sisters of Greek myth. There are seven stars Mm. in the Pleiades. I think it's Pleiades. There are seven stars in the Pleiades cluster. Maya is included not really because it's a significant star. I mean, Taurus is a cool constellation and whatnot. But I picked her because she shows up in the first Mary Poppins book from the 1930s. Oh, nice. Just like doing some Christmas shopping. Like Mary Poppins runs into her in the market doing some Christmas shopping for her star sisters. Neat. It is. It's, uh, to be fair, the only version of Mary Poppins that I have read, and I've read a few of the books, were the ones that were kind of re-edited a couple of times to iron out some of that problematic, like, provincial British jingoism. <laughs> what What is left of British literature from about the <laughs> 1600s through the uh, 2000s? Yeah, so I can happily recommend Mary Poppins as a delightful children's book based on the latter editions that I have read. And I do believe the changes were made by the actual author after hearing from fans on the subject. So, you know, kudos. Uh, But it's just a fun Mary Poppins, as I've talked about before. It means a lot to me in a lot of ways. More of the movie. I read the books later. But it lives in this weird and kind of dangerous world for kids. And as a little kid, I was always attracted to children's fiction that was not like safe and sterile that had like this sense of kind of dark edges and danger lurking around the corners. Mary Poppins has a good bit of that. And it just has a lot of weird things, not unlike uh, Narnia, Mm -hmm. not unlike Oz with just these kind of odd concepts popping up. And so I thought Maya would be a neat way to give us a fourth star and uh, kind of tip the cap to old Mary Poppins. Who's coming back. Is that this summer? Next Uh, summer? Unclear at some point. Yeah. Anyway, so that's it for fourth star. Bring us home, Brian. What is our fifth star of the week? Our fifth star of the week is Arcturus. That's a heck of a name. It has a sweet, sweet name. Uh, It's also the grand mustering point of the Alliance Navy in Mass Effect and the home (laughs) of the Bervixies caster in Star Control 2. Nice. So in general, if you want me to remember a star's name, put it in some piece of fiction 
uh, and I will say, hey, that's an actual star. I know vaguely where that is. <laughs> also, Arcturus weirdly appeared in the 1977 documentary film Powers of Ten. Huh. Also, Arcturus is the first name of a main villain in the StarCraft universe. Nice. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the stars that we considered for this list share names with characters from popular fiction. Right. I had not uh, realized how many star names J.K. Rowling straight up cribbed for her characters until I started looking through this list. Yeah. We're going to get letters for Alpha Century, not... Uh, oh, Alpha not, Century was on the short list. It, it, it was on the short list, um, but... So, spoilers, I never actually played Alpha Century. <laughs> also on, on the short list that didn't quite make the cut was Sirius, the Dog Star. Just because Why I so? like the designation, the Dog Star, that's awesome. Yeah, also, sorry, Polaris didn't make the cut. Oh, yeah, Polaris. You were close. You were yeah, close, but you're just sorry. not top five well, What's even worse, Polaris and, like, I don't know, a few is, I don't remember if it's thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand, million, but at some point, Polaris will no longer be the North Star. Yeah, that's, because I, mean, I know, you know, we have so many generations past that humans probably won't exist anymore, but there is yeah, yeah, still I something. Mean, we'll certainly be dead. Existentially sad about that. Yeah, sorry, Polaris. <laughs> there's probably seven other inhabited worlds that just are pointed right at polaris they'll be fine i like to imagine a bunch of astronomy nerds who are listening and just getting really angry at us for including like a bunch of i don't know what whatever the idea of like hipster popular stars are yeah yeah oh, also on, getting way cooler stars out there Right, right, right. Also getting all of our astronomy facts wrong. That's, yeah, that's probably going to upset them as well. <laughs> I should have known better than to pick a star. I mean, not that there's a lot of options, but I should have known better than to pick a star named with a Greek pronunciation. Because as yeah. we have learned from our other podcast, Mount right. Olympus, I am personally terrible at Greek names. I'm, I'm personally really at terrible at anyone's name when I'm trying to tell you who was cast in the episode so you know it's, <laughs> speaking of it's, the episode yep do we have do uh, we have this show to butcher yeah let's get on into some spider-man we're gonna take a break we're gonna listen to episode six of spider-man shuddering laboratory devilish professor monster and we will be right back change the apart what'd you think of that episode brian it uh it got way darker than I expected that episode to go. This yeah. So Spider-Man so far, I mean it gets intense at times. But it's also very silly. Yes. This episode has a lot it's a lot heavier on the intense side if you put them on a teeter-totter, that would be a very tilted teeter-totter this week. Yeah, there's there are other episodes that get launched right off that teeter totter due to the intensity of this one. Yeah, man, I don't. I mean, I guess we should just get into it. Yep. I, I like a lot of what's going on in this episode. It felt to me like it was kind of badly put together. Yes, 
there there seem to be a lot of just like, hey, we need to fill two minutes. Let's create it so it looks like it's going to be a subplot that will go nowhere. Yeah. I'm yeah. looking at you, Hitomi. <laughs> but on the whole, as always, I really love I just I like this show. Even a weak episode is silly and fun. It's got that theme song. It, I desperately uh, want that theme song in the background of the next Spider-Man film. Yeah, just, it's, it's so just do it. good. And I know we say that every week, but that's because we take a month or two or three in between recording these. So it's always hitting us fresh. And it's yep. always the best theme song. Anyway, let's get into the actual episode. We open this week on a bunch of dudes in... I don't, Kim I don't know Jong you, Eel garb? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Kind of like one piece prison jumpsuits, except for they're all one solid drab gray color. Yep. Just fleeing through the woods. We open, I mean, cold open on these dudes, just like running in terror. And credit to the actors, which is maybe not a sentence I'm going to say too often in this particular (laughs) episode. But credit to those actors in that opening scene for really kind of selling their terror pretty well. Yep. The Iron Cross army is just barreling down on them. Yeah, like an army jeep? Yep. So let's take a minute before we get too deep into this episode, because who knows how long it will have been since we've last talked about Spider-Man on the podcast. I'm going to step back for just a minute to reset the kind of universe of the show. We'll go through it quick, but just in case it's been a little while and listeners need a refresh, here is the universe of the show. We are watching Spider-Man, a Japanese co-production between Toei, the company that produced Super Sentai, and Marvel, the comic book people. And this particular imagining of Spider-Man is visually very similar to ours, but canonically quite different, right? Yes. So in this universe, Spider-Man is a dude in his early 20s named Takoya, whose father was a professor that was killed in episode one. Yep, by the Iron Cross Army led by Professor Monster. Yeah, which is great names on both counts, right? Iron Cross Army, awesome. Professor Monster, yep. awesome. Iron Cross Army takes over Spider Planet. One dude survives, comes to Earth, hangs out for 400 years. And then when Iron Cross Army attacks Earth, he ends up transferring his power to Takoya, our boy Spider-Man. Right. Our boy Spider-Man, who is driven uh, not by guilt for letting his father die, uh, but in fact, revenge and revenge only. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the theme of this show is revenge. And they do not mess around about it. It is the primary motivation of Spider-Man. So this Spider-Man gets his powers from whatever, a 400-year-old Spider-Alien man. Yep. He is fighting against the Iron Cross Army. We're about six weeks in now, so the Iron Cross Army is now furious at Spider-Man, who keeps foiling their plans. But they have not yet cracked his secret identity or anything. At this point, I think it's fair to say, and maybe in this episode for the first time, I feel like, despite it being a disjointed episode, 
The show has firmly got its wheels on the ground and figured out kind of what it's doing. We're past all of the intro and setup stuff, and we're now into kind of the meat of the show, right? I think so. So there's a lot more that's going to be unfolding in coming weeks. But at this point, everyone, all the players are on the board. All the early players are on the board. All of the roles are understood. And the week-to-week show now is just a contest of wits, wills, and strength between Spider-Man and the Iron Cross Army. Right. Mostly a contest of strength between Spider-Man's giant robot and the Iron Cross Army's machine, Bem. (laughs) That is is true. The machine, Bem, are sort of the monster of the week. Which is giving them a bit too much credit, but yes. Yeah. That is something I'd like to talk about that when we get to the BEM of this week. Yeah. Uh, and the putties of this universe, the lackeys, are called ninders, and they've got right. these weird kind of bird-like beak things. Yep, and they are way more important. Yeah, the ninders are definitely, they are almost kind of the primary minions of the show. They carry out a lot more. In the American version of several of the Power Rangers series that we got, especially the early Power Rangers series, the putties are just kind of nonstop disposable crewmen. Right. And the, and the ninders are certainly that, but they also tend to be on the front end of the plans a lot more. Yep. Anyway. They're usually the heavy lifters. Yeah. So, all of that established, we open the show this week on three dudes fleeing through the woods, being pursued by an army jeep. Driven by a ninder on which rides a handful of other ninders and the Amazonus, who is the commander in command of the Iron Cross Army. Yes, thank you. She is the second in command of Iron Cross Army. She is the strong right hand of Professor Monster. Right. As an aside, the next time when we do episode seven, I'm going to do the short summary. That's a good plan. That's a good plan. Then I won't have to waste extra time in editing, actually making my summary short. Indeed. (laughs) Okay. Now, they are in a Jeep. They are chasing these three dudes. I thought, oh, they're trying to recapture them. I mean, in a way. Boy, was I. I mean, I was was close to the truth, but I was also very wrong. They are just trying to make those dudes dead. Yeah. Uh, they they do pretty well. They gun down the first one, and then apparently, uh, this is this is Leon Yu, or this is that forest Hercules was in <laughs> three weeks ago, because a guy just steps on a bear trap. Yeah, one guy gets killed straight dead. Another guy gets caught in a bear trap. Guys, they don't show them disposing of that guy. Do they? Th- is he still there? I presume he's just left to like slowly die in the woods. The show is is hard this week. Remember, this is a children's show. <laughs> this is a show for kids, and we're opening on one dude getting murdered and another dude getting his leg caught in a giant metal trap for bears. Yeah. So the third guy gets kind of cornered on a cliff overlooking a river right the camera perspective on this cliff alternatingly leads you to believe it is either 
one foot above the river or 1,000 feet above the river? I think it's supposed to be 1,000 feet. And maybe that explains why the Ninder, who is one foot from the guy, misses his shot, which I guess must have been a thousand feet away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There was a guy who had him dead to rights, missed his shot. And this third mystery dude, the last hope of the escapees, jumps into the river below. Right. And by jumps into the river, you mean we threw a dummy off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Production values aren't high in this era of Toei shows to begin with, but this no, is a real low this, point. <laughs> this is, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a very floppy kind of ragdoll dummy. Just kind of going butt first into the water. Yep. And then we do a quick cutback of somebody jumping two feet into the water. Yeah, so the dummy is falling butt first for 998 feet, and then the actual human is suddenly going feet first into the water for about two feet. Yep. And then apparently we have to go back and report this so that Professor Monster can update the set of orders. There's a couple of times we do this through this episode that I presume we only do it to get Professor Monster a little bit of evil villain screen time. Did did we just shoot all of Professor Monster scenes for the entire season in about a day and a half? Is that what happened? I would lay good money on the fact that, yeah, they built that interior starship bridge set and then just stood him up there for two days, had him bark out various orders and do a bunch of different cuts of, like, mad genius laughter. Yeah. So we I mean, cut back. His headgear, you know, I can't imagine somebody wearing that days on end. Man, I love his look. I really love it. It's absurd, but I love his look. So we cut back to him just so he can tell all of his minions, hey, you know that guy you were all actively trying to kill? Could you kill that guy harder? Yeah, here's the new plan. Let's kill that guy some more still, please. I don't know why that order needed to be repeated, but it does... It's so we could start saying uh, Yasuki Matsuki. Yeah, it's a mouthful. They, it, it is, and then everyone drops that name like six times in a row. Yeah, you, you will hear Yasuki, Yasuki, Yasuki from every character's mouth about 1,900 times through this episode. I don't know why the man's name is just magnetic. Everyone needs to say it repeatedly. Right. It's I I almost wonder if it's to try and trick us to believing that he was part of a secret backstory. That's the thing. So this episode commits a primary sin of television shows for me, which I don't blame it for because every show does this where they suddenly introduce a best friend that we've never heard of. And to be fair, this guy was at least dead. So there was a semi reasonable excuse for it. Yeah. But it turns out that this rando escaping from the Ninders is a very, very close friend of our boy Takoya, a.k.a. Spider-Man. So he floats away down the river, and Professor Monster dispatches the robot Bem named Robacular. I like Robocular, but yes. Robocular to literally sniff him out. 
I and mean, I, he probably could have just gotten a bloodhound. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I don't mean sniff him out, like uh, hunt him down, figure out where he went. I mean actually follow his scent. I will say, so Robocular is a completely meaningless monster who does nothing in this episode. Yes. But I do really like his look. It's it's a weird, creepy look. It's It's got a giant eye and some, what, bat ears going? Yeah, it's got this weird kind of bat bird thing going on that I'm and it's it's kind of Technicolor rubber suited. Yeah, I'm into one thing the color about, choice. One, one thing about Spider-Man as compared to all of the Super Sentai stuff, the Super Sentai stuff, I think they put a costume together and then figure out like, OK, what do we need to theme this around? Like, let's take a look at how the costume looks and then decide some power sets off of that. Yeah. Spider-Man doesn't do that. Spider-Man reaches into a dark costume closet, pulls something out, and then reaches into a writer's room uh, <laughs> Powerball machine and pulls out a power set and says, okay, these things together, go. Yep. This Why? monster is named Green Lightning Cat. And yeah. it looks kind of like a giant ball of yarn with spiky antennas and robot legs. So, so robocular, which if we pronounce it that way, and it could be ocular, which he has a giant eye in the center of his face, like like a cyclops, basically. So yeah. sight powers? No, too easy. Smell <laughs> powers. Yeah, giant eye. Ocular name, powers of smell. Also, his name suggests he's a robot, and he's definitely not a robot that I can. Well, I mean, they're all robots, really. They're machine bems, right? That is, that is true. That is true. They, very... I mean, they all look like Swamp Thing rejects. Like they're, it feels very much like all of these are just Captain Planet villains of some sort. Yeah, Professor um, Monster, which we will learn shortly, is a. He makes organic robots. Yes. The show called... Well, well, we'll get there in a minute. We'll get there because Yusuke will have something to say about the laboratory of Professor Monster. Anyway, so Robocular and his giant eyeball go out to smell down Yusuke. We, the viewer, cut to a scene with... Shinko and Takuji, who, listener, if you don't remember, are the seven-year-old brother and 18-year-old sister of Takoya. So their dad died. Takoya's kind of the head of the house now. And he lives with his sister and brother. And I think what's happening in this scene is Shinko is, is taking him to school. Sure. And that may just be dots that my brain connected I think or leading him outside and saying, don't get hit by cars. Okay, we're done. Yeah, I think they're still at home. Also, she is absolutely in control of that household. That is a good point. We established last week that while Takoya may be the titular head of household, Shinko is actually the one running the show. She runs budget committee. (laughs) She does run budget committee. So for some reason, she's outside. And this is what I meant when I said the show is poorly edited this week. There's a lot of disconnected scenes that don't give us any setup or payoff. 
Nope. And the scenes don't thread together particularly well to build a narrative. Outside of the A story. The A story at least kind of holds together. So she sends Takuji just out somewhere into the streets under the orders to be safe. And runs into a new character named Junko. Right. Who apparently is an old friend. Yeah. So old Junko, close friend who we've never seen before. Yeah. But she is somewhere between terror and joy. She's kind of in tears, kind of in shock. And she haltingly tries to explain to Shinko that Yasuki has come back. She but then says, dead. yeah, we, so, so Shinko says, well, th- the heck he died in a climbing accident. Now here's, here's, here's where I start to question things. So Junko, the new best friend who we didn't know about previously mm-hmm. says he's back, but the iron cross army is after him and professor monster is trying to kill him. Yes. I'm okay with her knowing that fact, only because I presume Yasuki told her. Right. You want to know why these words should mean anything to anyone else? Yeah, why does she say it as though it makes perfect sense, and why does Shinko just nod and understand? Right. I I would say the same for uh, why does Spider-Man also do the same when not dressed as Spider-Man? Yeah. And I think... I don't know if within universe the... Professor Monster and his army have started making the news at all yet, but there's certainly not like facets of casual conversation to this. Right. He's back. He's being chased by the Iron Cross army. Oh, well, that sounds bad. Yeah, but they they had no questions like Takoya Shinko. No one says, oh, what's that? That sounds bad. What do you mean there's an army? Maybe maybe they've been around for a while, like the Foot Clan, like people have heard (laughs) of the Foot Clan. I I guess that's the case. So they follow Junko back to her apartment where Yasuki is just hiding out in like a small cabinet. Is it is it just me or does this apartment, the way it's shot, look a little bit like maybe it's going to be a drug lab later? Yeah, that's not just you. This is a real sketchy looking apartment. Which I guess maybe it's all uh, Junko can afford. I presume she used to keep the apartment with with our boy Yasuki, so who knows? I mean, maybe. I don't know. These people are all uh, indeterminate age, somewhere between 17 and 25, as far as I can tell. Right. Uh, and we can, we can establish it now. I'm fairly certain that they were uh, they were boyfriend and girlfriend. The yeah. show doesn't make that real apparent because it's like, is it, is it her boyfriend or is it her brother? Is it her husband? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. The show definitely doesn't. Eventually we get like a locket reveal that seems right. to indicate romance. Yes. We're still kind of reading into that. 
Yeah, and that's all we ever get to do because it doesn't really get real clear on that. Nope. Anyway, there is a brief but joyful reunion between Takoya and Yasuki. Who may or may not be Takoya's best friend. It's unclear. Yeah. Yeah, it's... None of the backstory is ever really given to us, except for this climbing misadventure, which he is now going to fill us in on in detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is one of those things that gets way more detail than it would have needed. It's almost as if someone's like, "I I have an idea to shoot some climbing footage and then a climbing accident." I'm like, but that's that's backstory. We don't actually need to show that. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Already, the show spent it. is rushing us from scene to scene, skipping major details and missing out on some good scene setting. But we do get a solid two minutes of just someone like hammering climbing pegs into a cliff. Yeah. So I guess that's fun. Yeah. I was like, well, I you could have maybe hammered in uh, two less of those and told me whether or not this is her husband, boyfriend or brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that may have been a good... Anyway, so what we find out is he had a brand new climbing rope that day. Yep. And his brand new climbing rope broke. Except for it didn't truly break. It was, in fact, severed. Right, by a throwing star. Which means the fact that it was brand new is irrelevant to the story. Yeah, yep, severed by a... and, And that is a thing, forensic investigator... You should be able to tell. A thing severed by a blade looks a lot different than a thing that has frayed and snapped. Haven't we already established that the police in this particular universe are kind of useless? Yeah, I think they only showed up for that one episode with the monster in the water. Yeah, and they weren't real great there either. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, so what has happened, we come to find out, is that Professor Monster has been collecting humans to conduct insane experiments on them to repeatedly kill them and restore them to life right it's kind of like uh you know going back to the yellow sun how the kryptonians originally made doomsday yes that is a very good analogy thank you i don't actually know if that's still canon i don't either i'm not i'm not real up on my dc Anyway, How are you on your talk? <laughs> no one is up on DC Talk. Those guys have not talked to each other for years. <laughs> uh. I should have I went the other way. I should have said I'm down with my DC Talk. Huh. They, Professor Monster, listener, that's a joke about a specific... There was a weird window of time where like Jesus oriented Christian rock was a thing. There was a band named DC talk and one of their big hits was down with DC talk. They repeated it a lot. And if you happen to grow up in or around a church in the late nineties, that joke is funny to you. Otherwise, thank you for taking this journey with us. (laughs) I I like the brief second that you almost let it go. That was for me (laughs) what it was all about. Oh, no, have to over explain. Yep. It's my brand. Yes. So back to Professor Monster. Yeah, so Professor Monster, it turns out, is basically just building an army of Cybermen. Yes. 
Yeah. Not not good. It doesn't look like Professor Monster has had a lot of experience at this. This is still in the trial and error stage. No, because our buddy Yasuki lifts up his shirt to demonstrate, and he's just got like a metal plate riveted into his ribcage. Yeah. I mean, geez, even even the first generation Cybermen had had better better uh, goings on than this. Yeah, it's not it's not a real good look. I have to imagine that was just like taped or adhesived down to that actor's chest. However, it was however it was adhered. It could not have been comfortable. No, maybe they just actually bolted it to him. (laughs) So he has been killed already three times. And as he is explaining this, Takoya just kind of saunters over to a window and realizes that the Ninders have found them. This is also after he, in an inner monologue, has pointed out that Professor Monster is the devil. Now, if Professor Monster is the devil and Spider-Man is an emissary from hell, doesn't it seem like they should be working together? Yeah. Yeah, that's a... There's a, there, there's a lot of not-so-different you and I going on here. Yeah. In a slightly different world, those guys could be best friends. Or a couple. Who knows? I would probably watch either of those shows. I so would. <laughs> Can you imagine like Professor Monster and Spider-Man like breaking off dates to go do evil? <laughs> Just like Joni loves Chachi style. <laughs> uh, this is a digression which we need to pull out of. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm fine with just abandoning the rest of this show and no. imagining a romantic sitcom from the early 1980s starring Spider-Man and Professor Monster. If only. Yeah. Oh. Wait till we get <laughs> Spider-Man 5. Maybe we'll see it. <laughs> so when when Takoya discovers that the Ninders are lurking around outside. He tells Yasuki that they've that he's been found. And Yasuki says, oh, Robocular must have tracked me down with his crazy sense of smell. Who's I Robocular? guess Robocular has just been hanging out for a while doing like smelling jobs. Right. Well, also, I think there's Robocular. Yeah, he's a machine bem. As if that should mean anything to anyone. It's maddening. It is so maddening to me that the phraseology of all of this is just passed around as though the casual human within the world is as familiar with it as the viewer. I mean, I. it almost makes me wonder if maybe that that is... Maybe it's a translation error and like the words to describe robot in general are very similar to machine BEM and maybe the translators are taking a shortcut. Sure. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to give the show something because otherwise Takoya is just there like, oh, machine BEM, of course. So Takoya says, well, I've got an idea. If he's tracking you by smell, let's uh, let's trade jackets. Right. You can't tell me that Takoya hasn't been trying to get rid of that jacket. Oh, yeah. That's a 
bad jacket. A, we've seen some great jackets in the right. history of the Sentai programs over the years. This is a bad jacket. This is a bad enough jacket to save President Ronnie. <laughs> so Takoya says, I'll lead them on a wild goose chase while you sneak off to the old fort. Right. The old fort that we've spoken of so often in our childhood. And here's here's the thing. He says, get to the old fort. You will be safe there. It is secure. So I thought like, oh, for some reason, these dudes have access to a secure fort. I don't understand why, but far be it from me to question the Spider-Man right. universe. It uh, no, it is it is much more like Fort Hawkins. Yeah, this is a fort that was built by these dudes when they were 11 years old. And I was really hoping it, it was an abandoned military fort. That's what I was imagining because they kept talking about it as though it was a guarantee of safety. Like, just get there and you will be fine. You'll be okay. It's just like a crummy lean-to in the woods. Yeah, but first we have to get there. Yeah, so Spider-Man, well, Takoya runs. The Ninders chase him. And as soon as he gets kind of enough distance to transform he transforms into spider-man and goes up a light pole he yeah he just hides mostly because again he's not trying to fight them right now he's just trying to keep them occupied while his friends escape so he's hiding up light poles and on the corners of buildings and such his friends do the worst job of escaping they get they get they get caught by the ninders just right away. Well, and they get caught because uh, our old machine bem uh, robo ocular or whatever. He's like, huh, I think I smell him northwest or something. Right. There's a like, mild whiff of his smell this way. Yeah. Switching jackets helped none. Perhaps that, it was because uh, perhaps because Takoya immediately ditches the jacket and becomes Spider-Man like that. That probably couldn't have helped. Yep. So they track him down in the woods. Thankfully, Spider-Man shows up in time to save them, and they all go together to the old fort, which looks surprisingly nothing like a fort at all. Yeah. We don't really get any exterior shots. We just kind of get what might be a a poorly constructed uh, shelter. Yeah, so... <clears throat> Suki stays here in in hiding. Yes. Tended to by Junko, his probably girlfriend, I guess. Yeah, probably. While Spider-Man heads out to try to take care of business. So Suki says to him, listen, they've been keeping us in this Iron Cross base I think I can tell you where it is based on the water currents from the boat when we came over. It's got to be near Cape Aniga somewhere. Cape Aniga, yes. Which, mad props to that dude for being able to identify water locations based on current. 
I mean, you can actually do that if you know what you're doing, and clearly he does. But that's yeah. some impressive work there. Well, that's why they need to take this guy out. So, yeah, exactly. That's why they're so concerned about him, is they don't want him spilling the beans about this secret laboratory. So Spider-Man heads off to deal with the secret laboratory. The probably lovebirds continue to hide out in the definitely very safe, cannot be penetrated fort. Right. I mean, and by deal with the laboratory, do you mean do sick bike moves? Yeah, do sick bike moves, take a nap. Right. Do everything oh. except deal with it. Right. We we forgot there was briefly uh, some shots back at Weekly Woman. Oh, that's you know, right. Yeah. The reporting outfit. Yeah, Hitomi is at the paper and her boss says, Hey, didn't you didn't you do some work on this story about a kid who died in a climbing accident a year ago? Somebody just sent me a snapshot taken today that proves he's still alive. Right. And it's like, well, you you have a good recollection for random climbing accidents in the newspaper. This is, of course, because Hitomi's boss is secretly the Amazonist, but... Yes. So I, I think what we're trying to set up here is Hitomi is going to go out and find uh, find where these guys are staying with her ace reporter skills. Yeah, so her boss says, I need you to follow up on this. Go figure out if this guy is truly alive. It seems like, as you say, we are seeding a plot of... We will follow you, and if you find him, we can then kill him. Right. What we are actually seeding is Hitomi watches Takoya be bad at baseball. She just goes and takes pictures of him, like, hanging out with his family. Being really terrible at baseball. Really terrible at baseball. I can't tell if he's just putting on a show and he has this all figured out, or somehow having all the powers of Spider-Man has made him terrible at baseball. Baseball is one of the sports that I would think spider powers would make you the best at. Yeah, no, he's he's a terrible baseball man. Yeah. So she takes pictures of him doing that, doing some sick motorcycle jumps. Yeah. And that's kind of the end of that entire plot. Yeah, except for uh, going back to to Evil Town and and the evil... Uh, the evil bad guys questioning, you know, I don't think he has the the desire to avenge his father's death. It's all very strange. All of that yeah. is very strange indeed. And it just peters out and goes nowhere. Yep. Meanwhile, back at the fort, uh, Yasuki's conditions are getting worse. He's slipping into some weird fever dreams. He's having nightmares about being back on the island. This dude is not well. No. Also, I'm not clear how long they've stayed here. Weeks, apparently. I is it? I don't. I don't know. Long enough for Takuji. No, long enough for Takoya to have had a baseball date with his kid brother, to do some motorcycle riding. I mean, to that take all could have happened the same day. Dinner. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Could all be the same day. So we rejoin Takoya, who's just hanging out at dinner. Yep. And this is the family drama part of the episode. Ah, uh, yeah. 
they shoehorn these moments in. Sometimes they work better than others. This one makes no sense. Yeah. Budget committee was great. This is terrible. Yeah. So we're just going to keep skating right past that and jump back to Junko, who is worried about her probably boyfriend who is getting increasingly sick. So she just goes to get a doctor. Right. Apparently, this fortress was impenetrable, but not unfindable. Yeah, yeah. As soon as she steps outside, she is found by just a bunch of ninders. The Amazonist is here. Robocular. Everybody is here. Yeah. And Yasuki drags his sick body out of bed in time to attempt to sacrifice himself to save her. Uh, Amazonist suggests, well, I'll, I mean, I can just kill you both. Uh, but or then, then a plan live. appears. Yeah, she offers to save Junko's life, at least, in exchange for help trapping Spider-Man. At this point, we rejoin Spider-Man in the middle of the night, just having a good deep sleep in his bed while his friend is out sick in the woods. Right. And somehow he is alerted that his friend needs help. Does his watch go off or something? Spider-Sense. Oh, spider sense. That absolutely says spider sense. That works. So his spider sense goes off. He gets dressed quick. He hops in the GP seven and rides to the rescue. He gets there just in time to see Junko and Yasuki fleeing from a bunch of dinders. He hops in, saves them just like he should. And Yasuki draws just a comically gigantic dagger and attempts to plunge it into Spider-Man's back. Yes. And this is the part of the plan that, while this part of the plan makes sense, largely stopped by Jinko uh, basically yelling no and alerting Spider-Man. Now, two things here. One, Spider-Sense should prevent this from working. Yeah. But two, and more importantly... When this deal was struck, did they say, all right, now I'm going to talk to you alone so that she doesn't know what this plan is because she reacts to this plan with surprise. That is my note. Like they didn't they didn't play it off as though she had like a change of heart at the last minute and couldn't go through with it. Right. She was shocked to see that giant knife. Oh, when when we were talking about stabbing Spider-Man in the back with a knife. I thought we weren't doing that is yeah. my only explanation. Yeah. Uh, regardless, this this turn doesn't go anywhere because Spider-Man immediately disarms him. And then it's time to fight with Ninders. Uh, also, uh, Yasuke gets shot. Yeah, he jumps in front of a bullet. So there have been some Ninders up in the trees with rifles trained on... Junko to ensure that they would follow the plan. Yeah, it would have been what? way better to train those rifles on Spider-Man. Seriously. When they do not follow the plan, one of them shoots. Yasuki dives in front of the bullet to sacrifice himself. Which, it, you know, it, it works. He, yeah. he saves her. Spider-Man fights off some ninders. All of the bad guys flee. We get a real jazzed up version of the theme song. We do. It's catchy. Yeah. Get a nice little extended fight scene. And then 
we just get Spider-Man and Junko watching their friends slash probably boyfriend dying in the woods. Yep, just die for real. He was briefly alive, back from the dead, and yeah, now now he's just he's dead. That's it. That is, there's no as, there's no happy end for for this here. Nope. As he's dying, he does try to reveal Spider-Man's secret identity, though. Yeah, because apparently he's worked it out. Nobody else has. I don't know how it is possible that nobody else has solved this conundrum yet. I don't know because either. Because this dude who has only been here for either one hour or seven weeks, I'm not really clear yeah. how long they were in the woods, put it together and like immediately, immediately. Uh, you know what? Maybe, maybe. Well, no, because I don't think Professor Monster in his cabal actually know who he is yet either. Yeah, I don't believe so. But he dies. But that's he not sure the end does. of the episode. No. Spider-Man has to get his revenge. So he just goes to take down the laboratory. Remember yeah. the one on that whatever cape? Cape Onika? Yep. yep. He sneak attacks it all by himself. And just blows it uh, the with heck funkadelic up. music. Yeah, some really funky Spider-Man theme. This music. is John Shaft Spider-Man. It is. It's so good. Every version of this theme song, so good. But he just blows it up. He just blows that bass up, you guys. Well, he blows it up with a machine gun. Like he grabs a machine gun off of a ninder, I believe, wearing a lab coat. I, the fact that all the ninders are wearing lab coats, I'm real into. Yep. And he basically tells them, uh, get out of the way or die. And then he just goes to town like he's Scarface on the room. Or like he's Sammy Davis Jr. in the shoot-up scene in Robin and the Seven Hoods. Yes, that's going to be a reference that more people are familiar with. Everyone will totally catch that reference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, that is a film. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But yeah, uh, this is another case of apparently everything that he uh, shot was flammable because the entire building eventually explodes. Just the whole, like the the building explodes. And then Robocular is just enormous and laughing like an insane clown. Yep. With no posse. No posse. But he just like the building blows up and almost like looming over the shadow of of the smoke that's pouring out of the building is just giant robocular. Yeah. And Spider-Man doesn't have time for this. No, this, this is this the quickest big bad fight yet. I mean, the machine Bem shows up on screen and Spider-Man is already calling Marveler. Then it changes Leopard on the machine. Bem announces who he is. Uh, Leopard on strings, arc turns, sword vigor, uh, get stabbed, weird camera work, explosions. Yep, all in the space of about 30 seconds. Maybe if we would have spent less time on those climbing hooks, <laughs> we could have had a, a slightly extended fight here. Uh, no. Now, we do, though, so after we very, very, very quickly dispatch Robocular, we do have one final scene on the beach where Spider-Man and his dear old friend Junko are bidding a final goodbye 
to Yasuki. Putting the locket in some flowers and casting them into the sea. Yeah, like the uh, like the end of Top Gun. We've got a Top Gun ending here. Which, I mean, I guess before, when they first said he was dead, she never really believed, but now she is absolutely certain, which means that she, she, she doesn't need this locket. Yep. Now, I can't and- tell if that's... Her, they both have lockets, so I can't tell if she cast his into the sea or if she cast hers into the sea. I'm very unclear. It's super unclear. The announcer does come on for some real maudlin voiceover at the end, though. <laughs> yeah. And I like this announcer a lot. He's one of my favorite parts of the show, but he just comes on to remind us that this dude is dead and it's very sad. Yep. Uh, don't lose Spider-Man. Like, you got to take your revenge and take these people out. And that's that. that yeah. That is how we end this episode. Yep. Nope. His his best friend back from the grave is once again in the grave. It It is arguable whether or not Spider-Man won this week. Yeah. I mean, I guess that guy is not turning into a Cyberman, so dead is probably better than Cyberman. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of philosophical arguments about that now, I believe. <laughs> but it's not great. Yeah. So that's it, right? Anything else to add? No, I don't think so. I mean, there was a little scene where it looked like Professor Monster was just declaring always invincible and you thought that was inside the base, but then Spider-Man is just cursing Professor Monster from across the way, so maybe he saw it. I don't know. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, right at the end before the beach scene, Yep, there is an insane Professor Monster in what appears to be, again, back on the bridge of that starship or whatever. Right. Just like rallying the troops, shouting that this is merely a temporary setback. And Spider-Man will be ended soon. And then Spider-Man flying in Marveler somewhere in a completely different location in space just answers him, just talks back to him. Now, there's one of two things going on. One, that conversation was beamed to troll Spider-Man. Or two, Spider-Man is losing his mind. Maybe, maybe it's a... Last Jedi co-vision situation. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to go with no. Come on. Don't you want to see Spider-Man with that like high-waisted black pants and no shirt? Oh, no, 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 no. He's got the Look, hair there, for it. There are many things I will defend in The Last Jedi. Those pants are not any of them. <laughs> All right. I, I think that'll do it for this week's episode of the Super Sentai Buddies. Yep. Whenever you are listening to this, Matt and Dave should probably be back next week. As always, I will remind you that the Super Sentai Buddies are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. You can find us on Twitter at Super Sentai Bros. You can find us on the web at www dot retrogradeorbitradio.com you can find us on itunes you can find us basically wherever podcasts happen i will say this because matt doesn't matt doesn't like to 
Matt doesn't like to bang the advertisement drum for his own show too much, which I respect. But he's not here, so I can do it for him. If you are listening to us on a platform that lets you comment, that lets you leave a review, leave a comment, primarily iTunes, but you know other platforms do it, take a minute if you haven't already, drop us a rating, drop us a review. Don't rate Brian and I, rate Matt and Dave, higher caliber show all around. I mean, if you somehow really like us, then put that rating there. But I mean, sure. Also, see see a doctor. (laughs) But really and truly, and and Matt kind of glosses over it, but that does help the show. It helps new listeners find the show. It helps us in iTunes crazy algorithms that choose what to present to people. Matt doesn't ask it often, but if you're listening and you like the show, take a minute. Drop Matt and Dave a five-star rating. Give them a review. Share your five stars with us in that comment section. Why not? You can pick up Sirius or Polaris. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. It was a lot of fun talking to you guys again. Brian, it's always a blast podcasting with you. I'm sure we will be back sometime in the future for another episode of Super Sentai Buddies. Until then, I'm producer Mark. I'm Brian. And we will see you next time. Spider-Man